You're listening to the City Lights Church Podcast with Pastor Jesse Miller. Um, so this morning we're starting a new series, and uh, I, the series is kind of interesting because um, there's a part of me that always wants to run from this kind of thing, but whenever th- three people in two different days give me confirming prophetic words that this has to happen, I really can't ignore it anymore. Makes sense? Um, and so the, the series that we're doing is called Foundations, and we really felt like God was confirming that this fall would be a new beginning, a new foundational season, a new time for City Lights. Um, everything about us is becoming new. God's doing a new thing in this season, specifically this fall. We felt like the, the word that we really felt like God was giving us is a new wine to fill the new wine skins that is happening at City Lights. So I'm excited. I don't know what this is going to look like. I don't know what the series is going to look like, and I don't know what the new wine looks like, but all I know is if it's from God and it's new and good, I want it. Make sense? A little slow mumble from something really good. Like, there's, there's nothing else that I want other than the presence of God. And, like, and if, if God's bringing something new, then I'm excited for it. So uh, that's what we're going into this morning. It's, we're going through a foundational series. Um, but don't think because it's foundational, you're like, well, I've been a Christian for 37 years. I don't need this. So the truth is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to present things hopefully for every place of faith, every, every area of your walk, every journey that you're on, and understanding God. I hope that I can connect with your heart. And the truth is sometimes we just need to go back to the beginning and have a solid foundation you know, you start to, how many of you guys have built like the Lego towers with your kids? And after about like 15 levels up, you're like, I should have built a bigger foundation. This thing's going to crumble. Like how much more of a reality is that for our spiritual foundation? If we're going from glory to glory, like we sung about this morning, we need to understand what foundation we're on. So this morning, that's kind of where we're at. A few years ago, we decided, we realized that charismatics or Protestants in our sect of Christianity, whatever you want to call it, um, our denominational side, are terrified, and people in Scranton specifically, are terrified of the word catechism, right? Because to the you, and to maybe you, but to most people the word catechism comes up with images of like Catholic school and being smacked on the wrist with the ruler by a nun or something like that. It's like, ugh, catechism, ugh. The truth is the word catechism is actually a Protestant word, but more than that, it's a biblical word. Catechizes to teach, to instruct. So we came up with what we call the charismatic catechism. Basically, what do we believe? Why do we believe it? Um, and so we kind of wrote through this. And this, this foundation series isn't specifically that, but it's kind of based on that a little bit. Why do we believe what we believe? Make sense? I want you to do something for me. If you have a piece of paper and a pen in front of you, grab that. If you don't, grab your smartphone or your flip phone and go to your notepad, whatever you have, someplace to write a note. And I want to ask you a question. So whatever you get that, uh, go ahead and look up at me and shake your head and say, I'm ready. You know, whatever. Everybody good? Everybody had something to write with? Some place to write with? I'm going to ask you one question, and you get to put one answer. Not three, not five, one answer. What is the most important thing about you? Write that down. In his great book, The Knowledge of the Holy, A.W. Tozer writes this. He says, what comes into your minds... Into our minds, when we think about God, 
is the most important thing about us. He says, what we think about God is the most important determining factor about your life. There's no other question that's more important. There's no other important aspect of who you are other than how you think about God. You say, I don't know if I agree with that. Well, the truth is it shapes every area of your life. It shapes everything you do. If you don't believe in God, it shapes how you live. If you do believe in God, it shapes how you live. The degree to which you believe God is involved or loves you or hates you or is for you or against you shapes the way we respond to life and how we make decisions. It shapes what I believe about my purpose in life. If I believe that there is no God, my purpose is whatever makes me feel good. If I believe that there is a God who has a plan for me, then my purpose is to listen to his purpose and his will and to follow that. Make sense? If I believe that there is no God, then politics scares me. I'm deeply, deeply, deeply invested into what happens in the White House because that is the ultimate source of power and authority in America. But if I believe that God is good and he is sovereign, then what happens in the White House is important, but just not that important because I know God is good. Make sense? It shapes how we view things, politics. It shapes the way we view nature. If I go to the Grand Canyon and I believe that God is perfect, holy, creator of all things, then I see that as a display of his goodness. If I don't believe God exists, then I see that as a display of random chance. And this is a really cool thing. Make sense? It changes the way I see nature when I hike on the, I love hiking the Appalachian Trail. When I hike the Appalachian Trail, it's not because I enjoy walking long distance on flat feet. I have very flat feet and really bad ankles. Hiking is the worst choice of sport I could have decided on. But when I hike, there's something about the presence of being out there in the solitude that my heart just hears the voice of God clearly and I see his display in nature. Like, I love it. So it changes the way I view nature. It changes the way we have goals in life. If there is no God and if there's no eternity, then why not pursue getting rich? Like, if I think about my own life, when I was in high school, you know what my dream was to be? Not a pastor. I wanted to be a Hollywood director with my name in lights and celebrity status and nice cars, nice things, my name engraved on the, the stars on the, what is it, the Hollywood Walk of Fame. That was going to be me, Jesse Miller. Not really a star-studded name, but maybe I changed the last name. I don't know. Miller's kind of common. <laughs> But like I had this in my mind, like that's what I want to be. But when God gripped my heart, he revealed I have a different purpose for you. You do that, it'll be about you and you will die, not maybe physically, but it will dwindle. You go for this and he will be glorified and I will be satisfied. Make sense? There's a very different purpose. Marriage, to me, I'm just being really honest, I do not understand marriage as a non-believer. Just being real. Why would anybody get married if they don't believe that it's God's design for mankind to experience covenantal relationship? I don't understand it. If God doesn't exist, I do what I want, and maybe when I'm getting old and lonely, then I try to find somebody, right? I'm just being really real. Marriage doesn't have much value if you don't believe that the symbol of a relationship between a man and a wife reflects the image of God in some way. It doesn't have much value. So I'm just saying, for, I realize that how you view God shapes the way I view everything. It shapes the way you view everything. If God is active in your life, then everything matters. If he is distant, then everything doesn't matter. It's whatever you want it to be, right? 
few years ago when we started City Lights, I don't even know if we had services going yet, but Ben and I went and hit the streets of Scranton. I'm not going to show you the video. We've shown it like two or three times over the course of seven years. But we went and hit the streets of Scranton with a camera, and we just asked the question, who is God? What does he look like to you? It was ridiculous. Um, you can go on our YouTube page. It's one of the oldest videos on there. Skip a lot of them because I'm kind of weird and silly in some of those, and you don't want to see me in that light. You, you won't come back next week. So They are kind of funny. But anyway, one of the first videos, we asked this question, who is God? And the answers and responses were ridiculous. One person said, well, I kind of image, I see him as like a 1990s macho man, Randy Savage, with the long gown and the flowing hair and the colors everywhere. Another person said, well, God's kind of a cool guy to hang out with, you know, as long as you don't do anything really bad, like no hardcore drugs. I'm like, so like softcore drugs is okay? Like, like God's like, yeah, I'm cool with pot, but not cocaine. Like what, like what, what is God to you, right? Like, I was really confused by this. We really, these were real answers. So we went out, and the, the truth is, like, it was interesting to see how people define God. And often what I saw is people were defining God by the way they lived their life. Like, the dude who told me the hardcore drugs, I'm like, this guy clearly smokes pot a lot. Like, I can tell. <laughs> the guy who says man, um, macho man, he owns the vinyl shop downtown. Like, he's like macho man, hardcore music, vinyls, like music. It makes sense, right? Often we define God by what we see in ourselves, so we make God to be better versions of us. And the truth is, that's not correct at all. And that's pretty scary and limited, because then we have a ton of different gods that all look like all of us. Doesn't make sense. This morning, I want to ask you, if you've already decided some level of belief, Christian, agnostic, atheist, why do you believe what you believe? Whatever you are, wherever you're at in this, why do you believe what you believe? Is it because your grandmother or grandparents believed it, but then you couldn't really articulate today if you were asked? I've experienced that a lot in this city. You know, how many people have told me, oh, I'm Christian, I'm Catholic. My grandmother, you know, took me to Catholic school when I was a kid. Well, they haven't been to church in like three years, and they couldn't tell you any verses in the Bible. I've literally experienced that on a regular basis here. Like, so you're a Christian, but you have no idea what it means to be a Christian. No concept of it. Is it because you were raised in it your whole life? That's why you're a Christian? Or is it because if you're an agnostic or an atheist, or even a Christian in certain areas, is it because society says that is the right way to think? Do you believe what you believe because that's what you're surrounded with? Or is your belief something dearly, deeply valuable and important to you? I think it should be. When I was a youth pastor, I became a youth pastor of this new church, a new youth group, didn't know me. My first message I preached to them is, do you believe what you believe because your mom says so? If so, we need to work on this. Faith is very personal. And the most important thing about you and I is how do I understand God? How do I know him? How do I see him? And is it right? Is it right? Because if it's wrong, I want that to change. I want it to change. Faith has to be personal. See, the tension in our society today is we kind of have this weird postmodern spiral thing happening. You know, like a hundred some years ago, almost everybody believed in some form of deity, the majority. And now we've kind of created this culture, this postmodern thinking that, you know, there are no absolutes. The only absolute is that there are no absolutes. And if it's right for you, then it's right. You guys, you guys know what I'm talking about? How many of you have heard that? The problem is it doesn't make any logical sense. 
So you're making an absolute claim that there are no absolutes. Wait, aren't there, are there no absolutes? I'm lost in this. You just made one. Like, so it doesn't make any sense that way. And if it's right for you, then it must be right. Well, what if my right and your right are very opposite and conflicting? Are they both right or is nobody right? How does this work? The truth is there, there has to be truth. There has to be absolute truth and that either God exists and he is one way or he doesn't exist. Make sense? And so I, you and I have to wrestle, why do you and I believe what we believe? There's a few different um, analogies for this way of thinking, and I want to just look at two of them specific. well, three of them maybe this morning. How many of you guys have ever heard the story of the analogy that there are three different blind men, and they're in a room with an elephant, and each one touches the elephant at a different spot. One grabs his tusk, one grabs the trunk, and one grabs a leg. And each one describes what they are feeling. One says this is hard and sharp. It's got a point to it and it's solid. The other one says it's kind of rubbery and thick and strong. The other one says, well, it's long and, and You guys know what I'm talking about. Anybody ever hear this? So and what they say is that analogy is that that is the picture of religions around the world. Each one of us is touching the same elephant, but from a different viewpoint, and we only see in part. So when all the religions and all the views of God come together, we actually have a whole image of what God is really like. You, who's heard of this before? There's a few of you. Okay. The problem with that is the person articulating the story is saying that they can't see the whole thing, but I can see the whole thing. So it goes against its very own scenario. This picture doesn't work because it's claiming an exclusive truth, saying that everybody, nobody has exclusive truth except for me who realizes that all of them are the exclusive truth. It doesn't make any sense. There's bumper stickers I see all the time, and it's, if I'm understanding one concept of it, I understand it, and it's okay. The other side of it drives me insane. It's the coexist bumper sticker. The coexist, if you're saying that we should all live peacefully together and be kind and loving, I agree with that. I should be loving to every religion, every viewpoint, and every belief. That doesn't mean that my beliefs is very contrary and opposite of your belief. That doesn't mean that all those labeled there, by their own definition of belief, can live in harmony with the other religions. There are plenty of religions that do not view harmony with other religions as something they can do. So the idea of coexisting as a bumper sticker that all, relate, all religions are equal, all roads lead to heaven, all gods are God, that doesn't make any sense because some gods are drastically in opposition to other gods. Make sense? If you came to me and you were in an emergency and you said, my leg is broken, or, or Mike came to me and said, my heart is beating, I need a hospital. And I said to him, well, whatever road you choose, all roads lead to the hospital. <laughs> Mike would say, I'm going to punch you in the throat, show me where the hospital is. But the most important question about you and I is, what do we believe in God? Does he forgive my sin? Is there eternal life? Do I have hope? Is there any future? What does my life mean if we say, well, pick whatever road you want, just wander around and it'll lead you there, it doesn't make any sense. But yet we've accepted it because it's the social norm thing to do. We don't want to offend anybody. We want to be politically correct. We want to be at harmony. And I believe we should be at harmony with each other, other viewpoints, absolutely. But it doesn't mean we don't speak and articulate real truth, absolute truth. As believers, 
We believe that there is a God that is clearly defined for us in the Scripture, clearly revealed to us by the power of the Holy Spirit and in the person of Jesus Christ. We believe that he is there. There's one God. That's him. And any other viewpoint, we want them to know, if you don't understand this, you're missing the hospital at the end of the road. If you don't know how to get to him, you're missing the source of life for your life. Make sense? This is not anger. This is not frustration. It's just what we see as reality. The Christian faith says that there is one God. If you could put that first slide up there, it's the point one in our, in our City Lights Catechism. The question that we ask is who or what is God if he exists? And the, question, the answer is God is the eternal creator and sustainer of everyone and everything. He is unchangeable in power, perfection, glory, wisdom, and truth. That's who the God of the Bible is. That's, that's what his character is. He's eternal. That means that there's never been a beginning or an ending to him. I don't understand that. But it's what I see defined in, in Scripture. When I realize that his kingdom has no end, it gives me something greater than myself to come in alignment with. Something bigger than my perspective to follow under. I say, your kingdom has no end, so I will trust you even when I feel like your kingdom is under attack. Even when I feel like nobody else is worshiping the Lord, I realize that you're eternal and one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that you are king, that you are Lord, and you will always rule and reign and you're always good. He is unchanging in power, perfection, glory, wisdom, and truth. That means he knows all things. He has all wisdom. He is eternal. He's powerful. He's wise. A few weeks ago, we went through Psalms uh, 139 where we looked at the different aspects of the psalmist declaring the goodness of God, that not only does he know us, but he is also for us in all of his power and might, and he's also with us. He is present. We believe that the God of the Bible is actively involved in everything, the sustainer of everyone and everything. That means if God did not exist and sustain you, you would cease to exist. If God's authority wasn't holding this roof together, it would cease to exist. I hope that he takes some of the paint off so we can paint it easier. <laughs> but I'm glad the ceiling's still standing there. Make sense? God is a sustainer of all things, all life. He holds it together in his hands. We firmly believe that. Jeremiah 10, 12 says, It is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom, and by understanding stretched out the heavens. It's God who has made everything. He is the omnipotent God, and he simply spoke, and the universe came into being. He simply spoke it. He just said the words, he's all-powerful, and it happened. The psalmist declares, for he spoke, and it came to be, he commanded, and it stood firm. That's Psalms 33, 9. And the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. That's Hebrews 11.3. God's word has effective power to bring about whatever God wants to do. We believe that there is one God who controls and sustains and creates all good things. He's in charge. That's good news, right? If you believe that. If you don't believe it, it's pure chaos. Get what you can while you can. Do what you want whenever you want. But if I understand that he is good and sustains all things, it's Father, lead me, teach me, correct me, hold me, like shelter me. You're everything I need. 
This morning, we were singing, and it, it rocks me sometimes. I will build my life upon you. You're a firm foundation. I have a confident knowledge that everything I do, when it's built upon who he is and going after his heart and displaying his kingdom, I have a confident knowledge that it is on something solid, something firm, and won't be shaken. I am confident that my life isn't built on junk, silly, wasteful things. I'm confident that my life has value because it's built in him. Make sense? It changes the way I think. First John 4, 8 says, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. If you want to understand the God of the Bible, if you want to know who he is, look there. If your theology or philosophy of God is this God is angry and he's looking for the righteous and he's looking for the unrighteous to smite them and destroy them, I want to point out to you that God is perfect love. And in the same sense, he is the God that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. While you were unrighteous, while you were broken, while you were in your mess, as Mike was talking about this morning, in the same moment of talking about his past, in that moment is when God died for Mike. So why would we let our past define us? If in that moment, God loved us enough to give us purpose, to give us hope. We have to view God, not only is he eternal, not only is he sustainer, but he's also really, 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 really good. He doesn't have love. He is love. So if anyone does not have love, he does not know God because God is love. If you walk around and there's not love coming out of your conversation, if there's not love emanating out of who you are toward the people you agree with or the people you disagree with, then you don't know God. You don't know him. I love that Jesus had love for all. And the only people that you saw Jesus get kind of annoyed with were the ones who were keeping people away from the true God, the self-righteous, the religious zealots. But even then, he still spoke in love. He corrected them. Jerusalem, who was in the midst of like religiosity at its finest, he's like, I wish that I could gather you in and hold you close like a, a mother hen. I wish I could bring you in and love you. The Father loves. This means that our life has to be a constant display of love. Are you guys with me still this morning? It's just too foundational. I mean, I don't see a lot of new faces. I was kind of hoping there'd be a lot of people here that I don't know, but still this is good to build on, right? I want to say something else. Love does not mean that we agree with everyone or every lifestyle or every philosophy or every religion, but we show love. We have conversations that express love. Love expresses the truth that it knows. To withhold truth is unloving. And so if we understand truth of the gospel, we should share that in a loving manner. Make sense? Our hearts should mourn for those who don't understand who God is and his deep love for them. There are people who do not want conversation. They don't want to hear your side. They do not. Unfortunately, there are a lot of Christians who do not want to hear the other side of a conversation about God, about life, about politics, about anything. They don't want to dialogue. And I would say if that's your position with other faiths, religions, beliefs, whatever, then I would say, do you have love? Because love communicates. It always pursues communication. It never pursues distance. Love never pursues distance. 
But if I love you, then I want connection with you. And I don't care what Will believes about whatever I do, but I'm not going to punch him in the throat because we have a different opinion. I'm going to sit with him and lovingly converse. This can happen. This can happen in churches in America. It's why in Scranton, thank God, churches from different denominations are coming together in love. My closest friends and I do not agree on some theological issues, but I love them. It's awesome. If you have love, if you know God, then you can have a good, healthy conversation, at least on your end, with somebody who does not agree with you. You should be able to do that. Please don't do it on Facebook. Keep off of Facebook. That's my side rant. That's not in the Bible at all, but Facebook has never solved any world issues, and nor has it solved religious debates. So just stop. Anyway, that's my thoughts. I'm not saying that's from God. I'm just saying it's from my heart. So do what you want. But second point of what we, we believe. Why do we believe what we believe about God? Foundations. This is the beginning foundation. How you view God shapes everything. Second point, if you can put that up there. What is the Trinity? There are three persons in the Godhead. Father, Son, Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit. However you want to say that. And these three are one God, the same in substance, equal in power and glory. That is the hardest concept for most people to get, right? I want to say a few thoughts on this. What we claim as Christians who believe the Bible, there is one God. Not, we're not polytheistic, we are monotheistic. There is one God, but yet he exists in three separate but equal persons. That doesn't make sense to the human mind. And what I say to that is if God is beyond my thinking, then I just need to submit to what he declares. I don't understand it. That's the mystery that I don't get. I can't give you, all. Oh, it's like an egg, and in the egg is a shell. And like that only works so far, and then it doesn't because the yolk is very different than the shell. Try to give your kids shells for breakfast. It's not going to work, right? It's very different. I don't understand how to work this, but what I see in scriptures in Genesis, God says, let us make man in our image. Our image, plural. There is a plurality there. There is a coexisting love between one God, three persons that exist. We see that Jesus over and over and over again claims that he is God. That before anything was, he was. That he was active in creation. We see it said in the Psalms. David prophesies about Jesus. That he is Lord that is eternal, but yet he is to come on the earth. There is this eternality to Jesus, yet he is separate as the Son, but equal and one as the Father, as the Godhead. Make sense? And we see that with the Holy Spirit as well. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father but I only do what the Father says. So it's like this strange thing that we can't really articulate, but yet it is a foundational element to understand that Jesus isn't just some son worker for the Father, but he is equal within the Godhead, one God. He is God, but he is also in submission to the Father. Make sense? It, I know it doesn't. So you don't have to say it makes sense. It doesn't. I get it. It doesn't make sense, but it's right, is what the Scripture says. He is one. There's a thing in... in Israel in the Old Testament called the Shema. They would say, Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one, right? That's part of their foundational belief. And we as Christians believe there is one God, but he exists eternally in three persons Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's what we believe. When we look at Jesus, 
when we look at his life, I would say to any person, believer or unbeliever, you have to figure out what do you think about Jesus. To understand the Father, you have to understand Jesus. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So what do you believe about Jesus? And so often what you'll get in society is historically, no historian, no real accredited scientist, historian, whatever, will say Jesus did not exist. It's proven by Christian and unbelieving historians, right? It's documented. It's there, okay? It happened. It changed everything. But what do you do with the person of Jesus when you realize he existed? Was he Lord who he said he is, or is he not? I love C.S. Lewis says this. He's like, you cannot just say that he was a good teacher, or he was a miraculous miracle worker, or that he was some kind of scholar. You cannot say that because Jesus himself does not give you the grounds to do that. The statements he makes about his own deity means that he was either he is either the Lord of your life, so he's telling the truth, he is a lunatic who is out of his mind, or he's a, lot, he's a liar trying to manipulate people. There are three different places you have to land with Jesus. Either he is Lord of your life, he is with God, he is God, or he's crazy, or he's a manipulator. Which one do you pick? There's no other place. There's no good teacher, there's no moral man, there's no peaceful hippie guy, you know, there's none of that. We, we love in our culture to make either Jesus this, like, super buff, like, Fabio dude, or, like, the ultimate, like, Big Lebowski, the dude abides kind of guy, you know. Like, no, that's not, it's not the dude abides. Jesus, I abide in Jesus. Anyway, that's John, if you wanted to know. What we claim, I'm wrapping up here, because you're like, man, this is, this is a strange message this morning. I understand, this is a strange message this morning. Foundational, but I think this is for us. We claim as Christians that we have good news. That's what the word gospel means. That we have, we're bringing good news. We're carriers of good news. We claim a living God who is active in creation, sustaining all things. And we claim exclusive truth. We claim that every other religion, every other cult or worldview other than biblical Christianity is false and errant. You say, well, man, Jesus was pretty peaceful. I don't like this whole exclusive truth thing. That's not peaceful. The truth is it is. It's loving to say that we have what is true, and we are presenting it to you. We are giving it to you. Now, the Crusades were an ugly blemish on what Christian love is supposed to look like. It's not, I have truth, take it or die. That doesn't make any sense. Apparently, they missed the truth of Jesus. But we come to the tr- with the truth and present it. This is who Jesus says he is. This is who the Father says he is. This is what he says about your life. This is how he says we are to live life. The truth is we all don't want rules and regulations until we need rules and regulations. It's just, it's just real. We want to do whatever we want until we're like, man, I wish somebody would correct them for doing that to me. We, we need rules and regulations. A good, loving father sets parameters for his creation for his sons and daughters. I was, just, who was I? I was just having this conversation the other day with somebody, how psychologists have proven that kids who do not have any healthy boundaries in their home will cling to people and individuals who set up clear guidelines. So teachers, any kind of authoritarian voice, they will run to it because kids, all of us, naturally need parameters in our life. As much as we like the term freedom, I do what I want, the truth is we want a God who loves us enough to set up boundaries for healthy living. And so what we as believers say is we have the boundaries. 
We have the healthy parameters for a good, full life in him. And the world's like, no, I don't want that. That's, that's legalistic. That's, that's it's crushing me, man. I want to do what I want. Okay, well, here it is. It's what we give. We claim exclusive truth. We do. We say that we have good news. Only our faith, why is it good news? Only our faith shows a God that comes to his creation and gives us righteousness. Every other religion, every other faith is you do this, you do this system, this step, this process, and then you can achieve enlightenment. You can achieve deity. You can achieve some kind of righteousness. You can achieve better karma, better whatever. And the Christian gospel says Jesus came while we were alienated, hostile, violent, evil people. In our sin, he came down and said, I give you my righteousness. It's free. It's for gift. For gift. Now just respond to it. Receive it. Love it. Live out of it. It's the woman who was caught in adultery. Jesus walks up and he says, where are your condemners? Neither do I condemn you. Go sin no more. I give you forgiveness. Just don't sin anymore. Go and live a life responding to my grace. Only the Christian gospel gives you that news. Only the Christian gospel gives you that. As we go through this series, we will continue to look at how God has revealed himself. God is revealing himself through very different aspects of the Christian faith. This morning in a half hour, I cannot give you an exhaustive lecture on who God is. Or communicate all the depths of understanding him. Okay, I cannot do that because guess what? I don't understand him fully yet. I'm in a constant pursuit of knowing him. Through this series, we are, we're realizing that we're just scratching the surface of the goodness of God. How many of you guys have lived Christian lives for a long time and you're like, I just scratched the surface of God's goodness? Today I'm simply going to ask you, how much do you know God? What do you know about him? What do you know about God? Because if you're wrong about him, let me say this, I want you to catch this. If you're wrong about him, it's the biggest thing you could possibly ever get wrong. And I'm talking to Christians too. This is not for unbelievers here. I'm talking to Christians. If your faith in some area is wrong or incorrect, it's the biggest thing you can get wrong. What if my entire life, when I looked at Ashley, I saw a big old scar over her face, and it was never there? The whole time, I'm like, oh, she's pretty, except for that big old gash across the nose, right? If you have a gash across the nose, I'm sorry. I didn't didn't mean that. You know, beauty is inside. Anyway, it was a joke, people. You can laugh. Lighten up this morning. Everybody got real serious there. But what what if I always thought that everything Ashley said to me came out of a a, a, a bit of condemnation where there was an aggressive tone. How many of you guys in marriage have ever experienced that where you assumed somebody was mad at you and so you're like, oh, listen to what they just said. They're like, I said I love you. There was nothing. Like, I heard it. You're like, I love you. I'm like, what? When you assume something about God that's not his character, like he's angry, aggressive, or he's out to get you or whatever, then every word that he says in love, you misunderstand. If you don't see him as we see Jesus, if, we don't, if there's something that's wrong, then it's drastically wrong. The biggest pursuit of my life is to know him better. There's nothing, nothing more important 
than how I know him, how I understand him. Because it will change my world when I see him. I'll go from glory to glory, understanding his love, and I will walk in it as I behold him. We become like him, right? If you're a believer or an unbeliever, I want to challenge you this morning. Do you know him? How do you see him? Are you actively engaged in seeing him better? Are you actively engaged in pursuing him? I have been thoroughly convinced of his goodness, his power, and his love in my life. But I am constantly in the pursuit to know him better. I want to remove all false thoughts about him. Any part of my theology that's based off of some kind of cultural norm or Christian world lingo, I want to get that out of my heart. I love that the psalmist says that we just talked about this at the end. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there's anything wrong in me. And it's the same thing with my pursuit of him. God, if there's anything wrong in how I see you, please, please reveal it. I love that he's a God who doesn't hide. Over and over again in scripture, we see people who don't deserve him coming to him, asking for him to reveal himself, and he shows himself up. He's like, Here, here's, here's who I am. Even Saul killing Christians, even people who don't even ask for him, the father's like, oh, Saul, I'm calling you Paul now. Stop persecuting me. Here's who I am. Now you see me. Now, now you get me. And the end of his days, 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says this. He says, I consider my life but a, a drink offering poured out. Poured out. He knows he's about to die. He's going to be executed for the gospel. He's like, I consider myself a drink offering poured out. He's like, he has a crown of righteousness laid up for me that Jesus, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. He knows that my death now is all for its gain. I'm getting a crown of righteousness from him. The same man who was actively killing Christians had a changing because the father says, I want to reveal myself to you. Let Saul see me, become Paul, and now it's all Paul can pursue. The truth is the more you and I see him and know him, the more we pursue him. The more that we, we can't just get just enough, we want more of him. Make sense? This is the thing, the beauty of the gospel is it changes every part of who we are. All of our dreams, all of our goals, all of our pursuits are built on this thing when we see him. You guys still with me? You okay? Believers, if we can stand. Believers, I want to ask you this morning... How do you pursue a knowledge of him? What does that look like? Is it a priority in your life? If you're a Christian or you claim to be a Christian, how do you pursue a knowledge of him? Are you actively seeking his face regularly? Is it important to you? And if so, what does your life look like? Does it reflect what you know about him? Does it reflect his glory? Does it reflect his love? Does it reflect his goodness? Unbeliever, I ask you, I ask you, just seek the truth. Just ask questions. And, and if you're an unbeliever here and you have a ton of questions for me, please call me. Let's get together. I will not judge. I'll speak what I know. I will always speak what I know. But I will not be angry. I will not be aggressive. And I hope that you other Christians in here can do the same thing for your questioning friends. There are a ton of questioning people in this city and they need to know that Christians will respond with love and answers, not shrugged shoulders or aggression. That's been the Christian response in America for too long. Like, I don't know why I believe what I believe, or 
die, sinner. Like, what? Where, where is that in Scripture? I don't get it. Let me say something. God's not hiding from you. Christian un- unbeliever, God's not hiding from you. He revealed himself here. He reveals himself in creation. He reveals himself in Christian brothers and sisters. He reveals himself in the Holy Spirit. I want to encourage you to pursue knowing him. Okay? Pursue it. I'll say one thing before we end. If, if you don't want to talk to me, but you're, you're an intellectual and you want to think and you want to process like an intellectual, let me give you two great books. Uh, there's a book by C.S. Lewis called Mere Christianity. He was an atheist pursuing truth, and Mere Christianity is a great logical understanding of the gospel. And also there's a book by Timothy Keller called The Reason for God. Great books if you're wrestling with faith. Get them. Still, you can come talk to me. But if you don't want to talk to me, if I scare you for some reason, grab one of those books. They're easy. If we can, can we sing Build My Life? I don't know what you were going into, but I'm changing up the whole thing here. This morning, I I want us as we worship to just ask ourselves those questions. Is my understanding of God the most important thing about me? How am I pursuing him? How am I engaging with relationship with a God who reveals himself all the time?